Hi everyone, you are now listening to our podcast for a while. We are just two Filipina 30-somethings now currently based elsewhere in the world trying to find our way and figuring out what that means for us. Our podcast is where we take a little break to regroup, share what we've learned, and find new ways to move forward. I'm Kirsty, And I'm Andrea. And if you hear something that resonates, we'd love for you to let us know. I'd be curious to hear about, say, what your... I know you mentioned top tips would be work for a multinational if you can, right? You really get plus points yeah. for that. And then also, if you have the opportunity to study abroad, then that obviously is something that people recognize and people are, you know, I mean, there's some argument there as to whether, as to like how people value like a degree from abroad versus a degree from the Philippines and all that stuff. and. Mm-hmm. It's, I think, obviously, a lot of it is like historical, right? Where people are like, oh, yeah, they went abroad, so they're probably more qualified, things like that. But it obviously is something that is very real. And so if you have that as well as a like a qualification, then that's a, a positive on your application. What would you say apart from those things and around applying for a visa or applying for a job? What would you say were like extra tips around, say, interviewing? Because it might be different. I don't know. Obviously, I've never interviewed for a job in Singapore. And it'd be interesting to hear about what sort of questions they ask. What kind of things are they looking for when they're speaking to you? Are they kind of testing you during the interview or do they just want to get to know you it's is it formal is it informal what 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 is it like oh speaking for me and a friend who's gone through the same thing recently i forgot to mention a lot of finding a job in singapore has to do with also referrals i was actually an outlier in that my new job now it wasn't actually referral based but that's what a lot of my friends here have said a lot of them got their foot in the door through referrals friends who recommended them so I think that's one and also just to add to that I feel like also in the Philippines like I have I know people in advertising they were able to also make the transition to working abroad because their advertising agencies for example are multinationals they're part of a global advertising network I believe that has helped them move to another country, get hired, get considered. And I do have a lot of Filipino friends who work in advertising here, um, having gone through that route. With regard to the question that you said, I guess there are two types. So number one, there's like a vibe check because you might have been referred by, it's more of a question of a fit. And then depending on the company, there are processes like you do a case study to see if, it's also how a company would think. So you might prepare a presentation or they throw you a case study that you work on. And I think that's more common now, especially for companies that are tech-related or might be consulting-related. So case studies are common now. I remember I was interviewed at an e-commerce company. This was in the Philippines, by the way. So one of the questions that was asked of me was like, how do you determine how many cigarette butts there are in the Philippines or how many cigarette butts there are in Makati or how do you determine how many basketballs there are in the Philippines total? 
And that's like a common case study question for consulting. And they ask you just to see what your thought process is like. And I had a similar experience also in Hong Kong where they asked me, okay, what's the process that you would go through in order to come up with like a digital marketing plan for an e-commerce company and so on. So I've experienced those types of questions. But I think my most recent one is a bit more straightforward. It's like they asked me um, with regard to my experience with digital marketing, what benchmarks did I use for optimization and so on? What's an example of like a project that was born out of insighting and what came out of that and what were the next steps that you did? That's so common these days and it's so intimidating to to get through that. Why intimidating? It's intimidating because you have to know what you're talking about. Otherwise, can you imagine like going through that? And for example, the process of how would you go about determining how many cigarette butts there are in Makati right now? What What was your answer? I don't remember. It was like, I think uh, almost 10 years ago. But there's a specific type of answer that they're looking for. Because um, I was going to say that these sort of questions get asked in like my field as well. Like if you're in a like an interview, sometimes they ask you more conceptual questions like, how do you know how many grains of sand are there in a beach? Yeah. How would you answer that? I mean, presumably you do it scientifically, right? So it could be like one grain of sand has this sort of say the volume of one grain of sand is this and then you know that the beach is this wide this deep like it's probably this deep it's this long and then you can calculate how many grains of sand are there based on this and obviously you're gonna put in Mm -hmm. but there'll be errors there'll be blah 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 and then you sort of just go and there's no right or wrong answer it's just how you go about putting this like analysis together So for the job that I got, actually, I had three different interviews, but they were for three different positions at this company. And it was a little drawn out, but it was because the first interview that I got, I had this interview and I was really, 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 really nervous. And I was interviewed by two people who I knew from other people were kind of harsh (laughs) like kind of tough on you Mm -hmm. but luckily they asked me a bunch of questions most of it was technical questions and luckily I was able to answer pretty much all of their questions or at least I was able like there was one question where it was like what are the different things that you would think about blah 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 and then you had to talk about the different things and like I got I think five out of six or something of those and I couldn't figure out what the last one was so that was kind of like the hardest bit of it all because it was really hard but then it got to the end of the of the interview and I didn't get that specific job at that office because they were like yeah she's great she's fine but she doesn't really fit into our office because we're looking for someone who does a lot of like modeling and I kind of said in the interview that I wasn't really looking to do a lot of like coding and modeling because it's not something that I'm particularly interested in. So they recommended me to like the HR person who recruits said that, yeah, she's fine, but she doesn't really fit into like what we're looking for for the position. So they recommended me to be like put back into the pool for another office. And then I got another interview for another Mm. office 
And that interview was the best interview I've ever had in my life in that it was three people. It was like two guys who were technical people and like a manager and then someone who was from HR. And the entire conversation, there was no technical Mm -hmm. question whatsoever. And it was just like, what are your goals? So how are you? Like, it was so casual that at the end of it, I was really worried they weren't interested because they hadn't seemed to be interested in what I knew. But I think Mm -hmm. the reason that it was very casual was because I already had this previous interview. And I think these two people who interviewed me already had the reputation of being quite, you know, difficult. So and and they kind of recommended me already. Right. So I got offered the job, but I had an issue because that job was going to be in defense, basically. I was going to be in like defense. And so I needed like this higher security clearance level. But then there was this whole issue around because I went back to Cebu. I was in the Philippines for like eight months or something, nine months. In the last Uh five years, you had to not have spent more than like six months or something in another country in the last five years. And so I couldn't get the security clearance for that. So I couldn't take the job. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to do any of the work. And so they recommended me back again. And then I had finally an interview with the person who then became my manager. And then in that one, there was like the manager, a senior technical person in the team, and then the HR person. It was like quite casual. And then he basically was telling me what the team does. But he did ask me a question where he actually gave me a piece of paper. And I was like trying to talk through what I was doing. And it was basically around... Oh, there was, there was two actually technical ones. One was around how, like, if you're in a car, the windows are closed, and you have a balloon in the car, which is filled with helium, and you suddenly accelerate, which way does the helium balloon go? Like, does it go forwards? Does it go backwards? It goes backwards yeah, because it's stays put, right? <laughs> you have to figure it out. Because it's a helium balloon, helium is lighter than air. So then you have to think, well, Mm -hmm. so if you accelerate... Anyway, there was this whole thing. Anyway, I got it right, but I don't remember what I said. (laughs) I I got it right. I don't remember what I said exactly. (laughs) But I was just sat there and then you just kind of go through it in your mind. And at first I sat there and not saying anything. I was just thinking. And then the guy just said, just think out loud like just say it out loud so I was just like thinking out loud and then at the end of it I said my answer and they're like yeah you're right but both of them were like the senior person there was like I got it wrong a bunch of people out there in the team just could not agree what was the right answer so it's not even about like you need to get it right it's just what is your process here that's a good one as far Mm. as say how about working environment and working culture how is Singapore you feel or the U.S. or Hong Kong how is it different to the Philippines like say how people relate to like their bosses is it quite formal informal do people start at a specific time end at a specific time which countries are more flexible to be honest I don't think I can answer that question right now I do feel like when I worked in Hong Kong for a while people more kept to themselves I think they 
And maybe that's because in Hong Kong, it's such a transient environment where people come and go. Maybe it's just not worth the effort to get to know someone or to make friends with someone. People kept to themselves. I did make a couple of friends at work. And my husband also experienced the same thing in Hong Kong as compared to Singapore where they're more friendly, more collaborative, I guess. Or maybe also because in Hong Kong, my husband didn't have that many teammates since he was collaborating directly with Singapore and the U.S. offices. Maybe there was just no opportunity for him to make those kinds of connections. But I've also heard of cases here in Singapore where I had a friend where her teammates would have lunch without her or it just wasn't a good environment. And in my case in Hong Kong, the company that I worked for briefly was very strict about timing in and out, which was not my experience in the Philippines, for example. It's quite rare for me to work in a company where they're that strict about timing in and out. But that was also an outlier in the sense that that was a weird company, according to a recruiter that I spoke to. Here, I can't say exactly. I feel like it's so varied and it largely depends on who you're working with. And a lot of these companies also have like international bosses. So they bring their own sort of culture into the team. So it's hard for me to say for sure or to generalize Mm. about it. Yeah, yeah. That you mentioned earlier that, you know, somewhere like Singapore and the field you're in, having experience at a company that they know of is a massive plus. And then so having then experience, you'll have experience in a company in Singapore, which is experience right so at the very least it's like this other step that you've taken to mm-hmm. getting another job if if you wanted to eventually yeah but it's exciting thank you yeah but it's nice that like kind of you'll be able to to go in see a few people for a bit, get your stuff, go back home, and then, like, start. Um, What is the setup going to be like with both you and your husband working? (sighs) Yeah, I know. I don't don't know yet. Um, He's on the call a lot, and so will I. Um, I don't know. He goes to the office, like, twice a week, so hopefully that'll make it easier for us. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, your, I mean, like your your work, the work that you and your husband do are obviously is like different to mine. And that so much of the work that I do, even though I'm home, it's like by myself. And mm-hmm. then I kind of just have, I have meetings throughout the week, but they're sort of a lot of it is kind of seminars, and I just listen mm-hmm. or talks, and I just listen. And then there's like a weekly meeting of the research group where it's pretty chill. It's kind of a catch up and announcements and questions more than anything. And sometimes someone presents. And then I've got like a weekly meeting with my supervisor where we just talk through the stuff I've done. But it's not kind of like big work meetings where um, because I've seen some other people that they have a meeting every day with their 
team or with their boss and they have to kind of like sit there and talk for or discuss the work and it's kind of I guess if like you're in a an apartment with another person doing the same thing it's like ooh, are we going to be talking over each other but um I know I'm sure you'll figure it out yeah people be are figuring out how this works kind of like you can take the the, the the bedroom I'll take the counter or something like that I'll take the kitchen counter yeah yeah the thing about my husband is that he doesn't need to show his face so he's actually oh, all good. just yeah I don't know about myself that's I hope not <laughs> but I'm new I feel like I'll have to show my face twice as much yeah, you have to introduce yourself yeah you have to yeah you have to introduce yourself and do that I mean, like for me, um, like the other day, I wasn't, usually I show my face in our group meetings and in my one-on-one meetings with my supervisor. But uh-huh. like the other day, I wasn't really fully back, I wasn't like back to work yet, but I wanted to join the group meeting because, um, you know, here in the UK, we've gone into another full lockdown we've Mm. it's like the cases are rising all that stuff so I wanted to just hear what the announcements were and so and I was like sat in bed because I wasn't feeling very well so I just kind of kept it off and I didn't really say anything I was just listening um but my internet also wasn't great so I just sent a message to my supervisor and said I'm dialing in internet's not great so I might be popping in and out but yeah that was all right um it's it's exciting though right like new experiences meet new people and like when I first got my job I remember in the UK one of the like obviously I was excited to get a job because Mm. I was applying for a job but then also then after a little bit when like you get your first paycheck you have this realization of like oh I've got I've got money (laughs) that's what I'm excited about (laughs) it's really like oh I know like I'm planning I've already been planning what am I gonna spend my money on then I was like scuba dive and do you know, like the scuba diving um, fees here are just the same as if you were work as if you were in the Philippines. Oh, that's pretty good. Five hundred dollars to get certified. Oh, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. So, and then there's like a free diving certification. It's like, oh wow, I so many possibilities. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm so excited. I am fully aware that money doesn't buy you happiness, but there is like a <laughs> threshold, right? There's a there's a threshold. And it's yes. like it does w- without being like completely, you know, whatever. But money does buy you some happiness. Let's let's acknowledge. Yeah, like the new <laughs> um, experiences. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's that thing, right? That um I read that article where it was saying like there's a study that they did and probably as someone who is a scientist whenever I say there was a study I should really look up my sources so I haven't done that but um another time anyway my point was you know that the study that they did that like in the U.S. there's like a threshold for how much people earn versus um how happy they are and there's kind of like um 
the threshold actually isn't like that high in terms of how much money you need to earn in order to feel happy and that earning any more money on top of that doesn't make you happier Hmm. um but like when you're when when say you're unemployed and you don't have any money or like you're not earning your own money or like you just want a little bit more money to spend on I don't know just like extra stuff right Mm. um stuff to enjoy it's like it it does give you a little bit of boost of happiness or like comfort or security which is and yeah we're feeling empowered yeah exactly yeah um so yeah (laughs) I'd love to hear about what your first purchase is I don't know like there's so many like I want to buy a bike oh yeah a bike as well can I just add actually because you know you were talking about you gave people some tips on applying abroad and specifically to Singapore what Mm -hmm. I was gonna say as a tip from my experience as far as skills figure out how to write reasonably well I would say Mm -hmm. and obviously speak as well because your sort of opportunity to make a first impression obviously apart from your CV or resume your application will be in an interview so being able to speak reasonably well is important but not just like hey you need to have great grammar or great English skills like that's not the absolutely most important thing but just kind of being able to carry a conversation a lot of people in an interview will be trying to figure out whether you fit into their team versus whether you're knowledgeable or you know you're smart because once you've got into the interview stage they know you're smart they're they're not going to interview you if they don't think you have the technical skills they're trying to figure out whether you fit into their team in a lot of cases whether you're trainable like are you difficult to work with sometimes you can tell in an interview you know and in so many cases where you're working in a team you're working with many other people it's so 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 important to be able to be a team player like it's very cliche to say but it's it is important because there are cases where you know it becomes a headache when you have a colleague when you have a workmate that's difficult it just messes it up for everyone yeah so yeah figure that out practice your interviewing skills practice with a friend google questions because a lot of interviewers will google their questions as well (laughs) definitely one thing I recommend is a couple times when I've had interviews people actually told me who the interviewer was or sometimes you can see it cc'd in an email do check check for that check what their names are I recommend googling them to be honest checking their LinkedIn accounts and to see what kind of work that they do because you sometimes can figure out what their field is what their interests are and what they'd lean towards in terms of questions yeah then you can kind of just figure that out basically just doing a little bit of research for it yeah so speaking skills obviously presentation skills are great as well there's a lot of people that I used to work with who just weren't great in a presentation to be honest and they were very knowledgeable highly technical expert people but they just weren't great at presentations but everyone has to make a presentation at some point or another and so if you're someone who 
comes across well in a presentation, in a talk, then that is plus points for you. What else? Yeah, so writing. I would say writing, apart from speaking, which we all have to do, writing is such an important part of, I feel, any work that you do. Because it's one of those things, I feel anyway, personally, I don't know if Andrea has any opinions on this, but I feel that it's like one of the most important things to be able to do to just write reasonably well. But also it's one of those things that takes a lot of time to learn how to do well. Like you can't just, you can't do a writing course and at the end of the writing course, be able to write well, like do a one week course. And then at the end of the one week, you're like, you, you write well. It's like, you have to like practice writing again and again and again and again. And maybe, you know, you also have to read a lot because you learn how to write sometimes through reading, but Mm -hmm. practice writing, I'd say. I guess I take it for granted because I've been doing it for so long. But something you mentioned about, you know, it's really important to be able to present well. A couple of tips I picked up during working is in Hong Kong, when I had to like make presentations for work, a tip that I got was it's not just about an outline. It's about creating a story with your slides. I think that's something that I'm going to keep with me, especially where you are not just talking to people who might be as technically knowledgeable as you because you always have to be selling an idea selling a proposal selling to people who might not necessarily have your level of expertise and the other thing that I learned from my old boss that I picked up a lot from her is learning to critique your flow so it's not just about outlining but making sure like there's a good flow to your ideas when writing because like when I write drafts for like speeches or PR articles that's the one thing that I notice she always looks at it it's really the flow and making sure everything flows together seamlessly. Yeah, that's definitely so important and obviously you're talking about it from like a work perspective like in your field and marketing and all that stuff but mm-hmm. the tips that you just mentioned is extremely relevant in my field as well like doing a PhD like if you're doing a technical presentation or writing up like your thesis a lot of the people you're presenting to or reading your work they're not experts in the field they obviously they'll they'll have some sort of understanding of science and engineering but they don't know what you know and so like you said it's so important to figure out a good flow so you don't lose people during your presentation mm-hmm. but then also to have a story because you can kind of say hey this is what i did but then there's so many other questions on top of that which is like well, why did you do that? What does it make any sense? Why didn't you do this other thing? And then you're also like, well, why do I even care? Why do you even look at this? Why is this important? And to be able to put that together and like something that flows, it's a nice story. It's like packaged well so that you come to the end and you've like given people the entire story and at a good level as well. So definitely one of the things you'd have to look into is like if you can ask who's the audience who are the people listening to this and that's good because then you can kind of adjust the level of detail you're giving depending on your audience one of the goals I tend to have when I'm doing a presentation is at this point because I've done so many presentations on my project 
I think I figured out like the best way for things to flow. And then I look through the slides. If, if things don't fit in, I'll shuffle around. And some things I take out entirely. I'll put it at the very end of the presentation after like, you know, where you say like questions. And I just put it, it as supplementary slides in case someone asks a question. And this is useful for when I'm answering the question to like illustrate something. But definitely take out things that aren't necessary or just break the flow of your presentation. They don't need to be there. But then also think about the types of questions people are going to ask you because some people ask you questions where you're like, I answered that already in my (laughs) in my presentation, but they Mm -hmm. maybe just genuinely didn't understand. Some Mm -hmm. people will ask questions that are kind of, I think, kind of like superfluous and you're just like, well, this is completely unrelated to what I'm saying, but thanks for your question. (laughs) But yeah, also what I'll say is if in an interview or a presentation, but particularly an interview, since we're talking about, you know, applying for jobs and stuff, if someone asks you a question and you don't know the answer, it is okay to actually say you don't know what the answer is rather than pretend you know what the answer is and be wrong. It makes more sense to sort of say, I'm not sure. I don't know what the answer is, but I think blah, 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 blah. Or, but you express that you don't know what the correct answer definitely is, but that if you tried to figure it out, you think that it might be this way, kind of. That's a good way of putting it. I feel so uncomfortable when I let the words I don't know out of my mouth. In a, yeah. in, in a, and even just in a casual conversation with friends, when I say I don't know, I was like, oops, why don't I know this? Yeah, I, I, I think like, I, I mean, I don't know, right? Because I, I, I don't know w- what it's like in other fields, really. But like in my field, definitely, if you don't know the answer, you're better off saying you don't know rather than pretending you don't know mm-hmm. because you you end up looking like an More idiot stupid. yeah, yeah. <laughs> because then it's like point. well you're wrong everyone else knows you're wrong but you're just pretending you know it and then it's kind of you end up digging a hole for yourself especially <laughs> if people have follow-up questions but a lot of people you know professors everyone like all these people will just say I don't know, but it's probably this based on knowing this other thing, you know. That's a good way of putting it. Or people will just say, I don't know for sure, but this is what it is. But then also, right, I'm in this field where, like in science, in all fields of science, basically, if you see someone who's a scientist who says, this is definitely the answer, we always say that you can't trust them because you the only thing you definitely cannot say is that something is 100% sure if that makes sense you you can never k- kind of definitively say it's 100% true or 100% false because there's always kind of exceptions right there's always like things you haven't yet looked at or things you don't know that you don't know yet And so when you look at wording, and this is kind of like inside jokes we always have, that when you look at wording, you always, the the wordings people always use, like in their papers, is the trend suggests that, um, evidence suggests that, right? It's like things like that. Mm. The results, results, I don't know, tend towards this type of conclusion. Based on the information that I have, this is what 
I'm concluding. However, you can't like completely discount this other thing because you don't know. And so it's just easier all around to just, if you don't know something, just say you don't know something. But then obviously you can't just say, I don't know and end the conversation there. You have to, <laughs> you can't have like an interviewer say, um, ask you a question. You're like, oh, I don't know. And then that's the end. <laughs> it's like weird. Yes. You have to say, hmm, I'm not sure. Or like, um, I don't know exactly the answer to that question, but, and then you say, there's like, tac- not tactics, but like kind of strategies and tips you can use when you're in a conversation, even in an interview setting where maybe you know this is going down a path where you may not know the answer and you kind of just learn how to like steer the conversation a little bit away from what the question they were going to ask which you don't know the answer to and you should talk about something you want to talk about but yes also in an interview ask questions because it doesn't have to be like an interrogation you can have a conversation as well yeah Yeah, those are some good tips, especially the strategies that you mentioned. And I believe now, especially since we're all working from home, I feel like it's a lot easier to go through an interview and you have your notes in front of you and you can be more discreet about looking at your notes while you're doing an interview, I guess. Yeah. So that's definitely what I did during my interview. Like I had to have my resume in front of me so I I could easily pick up projects that were relevant to the questions that were being asked. Yeah. Yeah, because sometimes that is so true that you just get like a mental block sometimes and you just completely forget things that are so obvious. And then afterwards you're like, what? How did I forget? (laughs) Yeah. But then also I'd say... I've definitely been in interviews where I was sat in an interview and thought, I don't want to work here. Where I've sat in the interview and the people are talking and I'm just like, I don't want to, I don't like the vibe. Usually the people interviewing you is the person who's going to be like your manager, your boss, your direct boss or something. And I've been in an interview where they're interviewing and I'm just like, no way <laughs> have um, you gotten job offers to those places i got one i think there was one or two but i got the offer after i got another offer if that makes sense okay that i took and i kind of was just like i'm so glad i got this other one mm-hmm. <laughs> because it was kind of like just wrong There was one place I was surprised I got a job offer because I felt like I shut down while I was there. Do you know what I mean? Where Mm. you're sat there and you're like, I don't like the way you're talking. Because usually it's not just you and one other person. There's usually like two people or three people. And then sometimes they talk to each other. And then you can see how they talk to each other sometimes. And you're like, I don't like it. Uh, you know, I feel like I turned that part of me off, like when I'm in interviews. So maybe I should learn to be more discerning. Well, it was, there was just this one time that I remember someone said something to another person and they were talking about someone else. And, Mm. 
they one person thought it was funny the other made like a snide comment and i kind of was just like i i I thought what they were talking about just kind of let on it just gave a glimpse into the kind of culture culture. Uh, yeah exactly the culture and it was kind of not for me yeah like i don't like work settings where it's very like i don't know what's the right word i i'm saying like masculine but that's not what i mean because the place that i did work at and the my colleagues were amazing most of them were men so it's like masculine but it's like very very i don't know what the right word is that it's very like frat boy i guess oh yeah i've i've had that i've yeah yeah i know what you're talking about right like it's very like are we in a i don't know it's like a frat like i don't like it or like very like sorority like it's very like clicky i guess mm-hmm. i just i just don't like it i guess it just depends i mean i think that's fair i think that's fair but don't you think coming from your line of work that's incredibly common no i think it's less so honestly oh, that's good to hear i think this is specifically because it's the nuclear industry and because of there's like i don't know a a few generations of people um working in the nuclear industry where you've got like much much older people and then there's like Mm -hmm. a huge gap and then younger people and so a lot of the colleagues that i had when i was working at the company i used to work at for example i was like the second youngest person in my team and there's like 40 of us and most of the people are like 45 50 and above you know Mm -hmm. so it's not you don't have that like fraternity type thing (laughs) it's just because people are just older and they've got families and you know they're chill but there were certain individuals who i avoided who were a bit more like that Mm -hmm. and they and then they would always be like oh let's let's all have like lunches together and when I first joined I would go to lunch with people but then like after a few months I was like I'm all right I'm gonna sit here eat my lunch while I read a book and then I'm gonna go for a walk like I just it was just a bit like yeah how how do you handle that I mean is it the culture I mean because in the Philippines there's that expectation or maybe in some other cultures, there's an expectation that you have lunch together with your teammates. Is that something that's common or are you completely free to do your own thing? Yeah, you just do your own thing for the most part. Some people kind of have lunch together. Not many people, to be honest, have lunch together. Yeah, a lot of people kind of use lunchtime to take a break and then eat before they work again because people want to like leave when <laughs> when it ends rather than have a long lunch mm-hmm. they want to be able to leave at the end of the workday um, on time a lot of people go on walks at lunchtime actually is my experience so yeah people eat and then they'll go for a walk to mm-hmm. break up the day I used to have a colleague who would take a longer lunchtime actually but then he would also come in at like 7 a.m in the morning so that he could have a long lunch and then over lunch he would like he'd go for on like a 30 mile bike ride at lunchtime wow nice yeah and he'd come it's back nice he has the flexibility to do that what do you mean 
Oh, like yeah. work? Lunch hour is not that it's flexible. Yeah, so that that was uh, definitely an, an advantage where I worked, where you had like flexible working. You just had like your set hours per week, and then you could like shuffle it around as you wish. Except that they did say to you that core hours were half nine to four, I think, or half nine to four thirty, something like that. So that's half sort nine eight thirty or nine thirty. Nine thirty. So those, that's sort of the expectation of when they expect you to be in. Mm-hmm. And then before that or after that, it's kind of whatever. But then I also burned out. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely something that's happened to me as well. We need to talk about burnout next, probably. Because yes, I, I was just going to say, because I did listen to one of our... Well, actually, both, the, you know, our Christmas roundup, end of year mm-hmm. roundup, beginning of the year episodes. And I really, really hope that I didn't come across as someone who was like someone who's figured things out in terms of life or whatever, because I don't feel like I have. Because I have so many questions at the moment for myself around, hey, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? And I don't really know the answer except that yeah right except that I know that at the moment the situation I'm in and like the setup that I have is kind of given everything is kind of like as good as it gets and I know that and so that's why I guess I'm not like stressing out about other things really and I'm very grateful for what I have and all of that but a lot of the things that I figured out because I feel like some of the things that I said may may have made it seem like I was a bit of a know-it-all, which I hope I'm not, I don't come off that way. But it's it's literally, literally the only reason I've been able to figure things out was because I burned out so badly in the past. And it was kind of crap. But the kind of positive of all of that is... I've done I've done a lot of introspection <laughs> to figure stuff out about myself and what I like and what I don't like and all of that stuff which which takes a lot of time I think and is hard to do but I know that if I hadn't burned out so badly I probably wouldn't have figured it out by now perhaps perhaps it's a positive perhaps it's a negative I think it's both but yes Mm-hmm. I've kind of had the whole quarter life crisis thing and I've had the burnout and I've had like the breakdown. I've quit my job. I've done all that stuff, which is why I feel like I'm in a place where I just know myself better and kind of know what I want better, even if I don't know exactly what it is. But I think that's why I just feel less. I think that's also why I feel less hard on myself about stuff. Mm-hmm. Because I think burning out and all of that just puts so much, so many things into perspective. Where I've realized it literally does not matter; <laughs> nothing matters except that, like, you're happy, you, yeah. you love the people you're around, and you've got friends and you've got family and all that stuff. And I know that for me, as far as my values, those are the most important things, and everything else, I can easily drop or put behind that because of the craziness that happened a few years ago yeah 
I just thought I'd say that because I thought I was listening to it and I was like, Kirsty, you sound like you're such a know-it-all. <laughs> you know, I get triggered by know-it-alls and I didn't get that vibe. Okay. Okay, good. Thank you. But then you know <laughs> me, so maybe it's because you know my background, you know. Yeah, well, you know, I definitely you know don't think. Point. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, that there was a point where I thought I was losing my mind. So, you know, we've, it's like trial by fire. <laughs> And you came out of it. We go through those situations to help us figure out what we really want. And that's the point. It's about what we really want. It's not what people say we should want. Yeah. Agree. So I think that's totally fine. Legit. Yeah. It's like a legit thing, right? That people go through. And it's like, I don't know. Sometimes I see people talk about, oh, I think I'm having a quarter life crisis. And I'm just like. I feel like this is something everyone goes through and it's just kind of some people go through it a bit more a bit like more intensely than others and some people mm. kind of pretend they're not going through it but everyone does because I think mm-hmm. everyone gets to a point in their life where they're like wait is this where I want to be do I want to change jobs do I want to change fields do I want to get married do I do I want to break up with someone? Do I want to move? Like all of these questions where you're trying to figure out whether you you are on that right path in your life. But then mm-hmm. also you're also questioning, what do I actually want? Like, do I actually care about career as much as I thought that I did? Because I think we we sometimes get taught that your career is everything and... <laughs> All that yeah. stuff. Learning about astrology makes me realize that answer is so different for so many people, which is why giving advice to someone sometimes it doesn't really help because I feel like it just confuses a person more because what they should really be listening to is themselves most of yeah. all. Yeah, that's so true. I have a friend who is one of my best friends here, actually. He's great. And, Mm -hmm. you know, me, I'm going through, you know, when I was breaking down and all that stuff and I was having a really tough time, he kind of was like, obviously felt bad for me and wished I felt better, but he couldn't understand what I was going through because for him, his path is kind of different where I know that a lot of it probably has to do with like his upbringing and his childhood where... Mm a lot of the things that he had aimed towards was like getting a good job and not having debt like his parents and having a home and feeling secure financially and having a job and you know and he got a job and he's 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 making money and he's single right so it's great for him he he was able to buy a house that he then he's he's renting out so he's making an income and he just feels so much more secure financially and in terms of his Mm -hmm. future but also I remember early on when he was working at this company he was just like I feel like I owe because this company gave me a job he was like I feel like I owe the company at least five years before I ever think about moving to another company and for me I was like but you don't owe them anything you're working for them like you're working and they pay you. So you're making them money. There, there's no like owing. They didn't do you a favor. You're working. 
for them was my mentality <laughs> about that. But then also there, there, there was a period where me when I was working, and I think this comes with being a junior person as well in the beginning where you kind of just feel grateful that someone gave you a job. Yeah. <laughs> or you're just grateful that someone is willing to spend the time training you. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of feel a little bit indebted to them, which like, you know, it's obviously good to be appreciative of the time other people spend on you, but I don't think you should necessarily feel indebted to a company for giving you a job when you're making them money. You're working for them, right? So you're working. It's an exchange. It's an equal exchange. It's It's not, not we're not just giving you a salary for no reason. You're working. I would be interested to see how the job market changes this year, given what happened last year and what's continuing to happen in terms of the pandemic and how jobs change, how people, you know, run their company, how that will change. I forgot to mention in Singapore, the job market has actually improved somewhat. Simply because there are so many foreigners who went home because of the pandemic. So there's a lot of hiring going on. Well, of course, there are contractions in the job market as well, depending on the industry. But that's also like a source of like opportunity here in Singapore. And I'm wondering if do you feel like the experience is the same in the UK? No, I think here... There's a lot of people struggling financially. Businesses are struggling financially because so much of it is just closed. So Mm -hmm. the hospitality industry in particular, like pubs are just shut. If you serve alcohol, there's no alcohol that's being sold that isn't in the supermarket. You can't buy alcohol from like a restaurant. It's just shut. Clothes shops, all of that is shut at the moment. You can't buy any clothes anywhere. What else is shut? Like pretty much everything that isn't essential. So everything that isn't food, you can order from a restaurant, but you can only take away. Like they have to deliver or you pick it up from them. But for some like restaurants, it's not worth them opening if they don't make money, right? What else? Like pharmacies are open. Supermarkets are open, obviously. Bike shops are open. Apparently the bikes and stuff are doing really well because people don't have anything else they can do outdoors (laughs) in singapore the one and only brompton store has said like they have a sign that we are sold out and you can't pre-order and we won't be in stock for a while because of global demand yeah like bikes were sold out over summer cool it was just like so hard to get a bike gyms are shut at the moment everything i mean everything else right so Loads of people are on furlough. So that 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 is one of the, I guess, positive, which like you don't really have in places like the Philippines, where there is like a furlough scheme in place. But hmm. not all companies are eligible for it. And if you're a freelancer, you miss out on a lot of things. So I think that actually what's happening is a lot of people are just trying to figure out how to make money on their own as an individual like as a freelancer 
Yeah. It's a good thing in the Philippines where Instagram is such a popular marketplace for people. It's relatively easy to go online. And I think as we learned from Mench in one of our previous episodes, right? There's a Bayanian spirit with regard to wanting to support other people in local businesses and small businesses that are online. Yeah, I agree. I wish actually that's something that I'm that I'm missing about the Philippines and Cebu, the fact that you can kind of like just order anything not even just food anything and you can send it through grab or something Mm -hmm. there's loads of places that deliver online like i mean you can online shop and then they deliver like pretty much everywhere does it Mm -hmm. Um, so that's the advantage it's just that what if you just want something immediately (laughs) but it's nice to see that happening in the philippines actually how people are really supporting local business in this time I definitely would have liked to support more local businesses here maybe in the future but there are just some things where it's just a little bit more difficult like when it comes to food in particular there are so many rules here about whether you can sell food or not because you need like a food hygiene certificate you need to have done the course all of these things before you're actually allowed to sell food Oh, here in Singapore, it's actually quite easy to start a business. Like, you don't need any certification for a home-based business. But you cannot advertise. You cannot employ people. You cannot buy industrial equipment. Like, you can only use existing equipment that you have. Ooh. Your limitations as a home-based business for food is really limited. Okay. Like, if you were doing cakes or something and you just had a mixer, right? That should be fine. That should be fine, yeah. Before we end this episode, I just want to also acknowledge Andrea for giving me the first job I ever had as her intern. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're so funny. That was an internship. I know, but it was the first time I've ever had like a job where it wasn't just like, you know, helping out my parents a little bit and doing errands for them it was actually like a job where i'd come in at a certain oh, time yeah. and finish at a certain time monday to friday and that was fun loads of stuff and i learned a lot for sure really i'm glad skills like there was so much stuff that i just or like terms and words that i just didn't know in terms of like business or marketing or advertising like i just i just did not know it and i wasn't familiar mm-hmm. so yeah so thanks for my first job that went on my cv for all other jobs i applied for my first <laughs> job i put that down as work experience i've taken it off now cuz it's not relevant to the work i do now but before <laughs> i definitely put it down as work experience i hope that helped you get a better job <laughs> uh, worked. I mean you did get hired afterwards right I did yeah I said that um, you know and they asked what kind of work did you do at this place and I made it sound like I did lots of really important work for you <laughs> that's that's a skill making it sound important <laughs> and it's good because you were telling me before you know it was so it was so difficult for you looking for your first job in the UK because in order for, in order for you to get considered, you need to have experience. But in order for you to have experience, you need to get a job. So it was a catch-22 for you. 
Yeah. So it was really nice that I had that experience for sure in the Philippines with y- with mm-hmm. you as my because it was so good because you know so much of it was informal and I could just be like, dude, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> what's going on. Like, tell me. Like, I don't know. Um, and you were very helpful, but also very Yay. authoritative in certain <laughs> areas. I think I, I was. I realized, you know, I could have been. I could have been nicer, but that's that's but to me. Uh, no, you were perfectly nice to me. I mean, in, of course, you're my friend, but I think in general, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, no, no, you I were think, nice. It's just like you can be nice, but also like a boss at the same time, right? Okay, that's good. I hope you know all the personal growth I've done over the last couple of years. They translate into how I do my work, my new job. Yeah, like, for sure. I'm I really sure. hope. Good luck on your first day tomorrow. Let me know how it goes. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I'm so I'm so nervous. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of For a While. Catch you in the next one. Bye.